0: Hello and welcome to the next podcast show from Shelf Impactors. So once again, Lisa is flying solo on this one, talking to the great Simon Dixon of Dixon Baxi. True to life, there are a few subtle technical issues in the later parts of this show which affect the sound quality ever so slightly. So bear with it, as there are some cracking takeouts from this one. So Lisa, take it away.
1: Welcome to Shelf Impactors, today we've got an amazing guest, someone I've been following chasing to get on for a little while, it's Simon Dixon, who is the creative director or one part of a two part um, agency, Dixon Baxi. Most people will know who they are now. Simon, thank you so much, we finally got there and we got you on. Um, Tell everyone who doesn't know or is not a bit of a fan base like me, who you are, um, and who are Dixon Baxi.
0: Hey, hey, thanks Lisa, thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, my name is Simon Dixon, and I'm one of the co-founders of Dixon Baxi. and we're a branding agency based in London, but we work internationally, so about 80 to 90% of our work is international. Um, we've just celebrated our 20th anniversary, which is nice, so we're a mature agency is about 50 people, and we work with big international brands on kind of multi-territory branding uh, design systems and rebrands, and our clients are people like... Um, Netflix and Amazon, AC Milan, the Premier League, uh, Google, those types of companies, as well as kind of digital startups and lots of different types of industries.
1: Now, before we get into the super creative stuff and get into the like big topics, I'm going to ask you the icebreaker question. I sent you a list of three. And I'm going to ask if you could be immortal, what age would you stop at and why?
0: It's an, it's an excellent question. It's like um, it's quite a tough one straight off the bat, but I would probably say the age I am now um, because I'm a great believer in the now and the next rather than the past. And one of the things about being my age, I'm 52 now, is that I have a level of confidence and understanding of the world that I didn't have when I was young. So I don't have the same kind of... I can't run as fast and I, I don't have necessarily quite the same energy. But um I like my place in the world. I feel happy. Um, I like my effect on what I do. I'm doing what I want to do with people I want to do it with. Um so yeah, I would probably say today.
1: I think that's a great answer. And I think that's probably why, probably why I found you guys. And it's funny, I should tell the story. So what got you here or why I started following Dixon Baxi generally was. I moved back to the UK after five years in Sydney. My background was 10 years in London. and Then I came over here to Australia in Sydney. After five years, I decided to move to China. Then from China, I moved to Leeds to head up a studio there. I've just always chased those kind of, if someone dangles me a carrot and the universe goes, here, this can make it happen, sublet my apartment and go. And off I did. And then when I was in Leeds, I saw your work. I think it was the work you guys did for Regent's Park. And, and it was just such beautiful work, and I think I put on LinkedIn or I commented on the work and said, "This is amazing work." And you messaged me and said, "Are you got, are you looking for freelance?" <laughs> I was like, "No, I'm heading off a studio in Leeds. I, I actually just love." I love your work and I think I've followed it since. You've worked on the Premier League, which is one of my, my dream things. And you also, as an agency, I would say you don't put yourself in a box. You're a brand agency. You're not a packaging agency. You're not a movie agency. You're not a digital agency. You're just a brand agency. And I think there's something that talks really well. Was that a conscious decision for you to focus on brand? And, and you know, even that, like a lot of people don't quite understand brand being more than a, a logo mark.
0: Yeah, I I mean, in essence, uh, myself and my business partner, we're trained graphic designers. So we started out as graphic designers, but we worked uh, a lot in London, America and internationally as we developed our careers. And what that means is we learned about the importance of things that drive the design, particularly for large groups of people. If you're working on brands that reach tens, hundreds and sometimes billions of people, it has to be built on something. And what we like is building things that are meaningful, authentic and useful to people. Um, and ideas and strategies have to drive that. And then, of course, our job is to translate those into identities and design systems that connect those ideas and services and, and content and, and various things from products to people. But, of course, branding now is like it's an ecosystem. It's not a set of assets. It's certainly not a of logo, because the logo doesn't mean anything unless you fill it with, with meaning. So we create ecosystems and figure out how the brand interacts with people on all levels of communication it's very digital first and what we like is the democratized power of designing for millions of people we like the beauty of design and the power of design and its ability uh, certainly creativity to change the world for the better and we like applying that to everybody everywhere and we always have done
1: and is there specific projects, like I, I love your Premier League work and the ITV work that you've just done as well. So I think you've worked on some really exciting brands and take them in directions that I didn't expect them to go. And I think that's probably why I've always been a bit of a follower of your work. Cause I go like, I don't quite know where they're going to go with it, but I know it's going to make me feel something. And I think um, you describe yourself on LinkedIn as a designer, a creative director. It always fascinates me what people put because I think you can put anything you want on LinkedIn really, but a strategic- well,
0: actually, I don't have a title. So if you look closely on LinkedIn, I don't actually have a title. No, but um, so you
1: describe yourself as a strategic. But the strategic thinker, I think, is re- it's yeah, important. Enough. It's that are you a strategist? Are oh, you a designer? And I just think there's a fusion in our industry of the two. You're not. I, you need to be a strategic thinker to solve problems. So I think yes. you don't have to be one or the other. People always try. It. They definitely do it more over here to go are you applying to be a strategist or are you a creative director or whatever? And I think there's a fusion, you need to understand how, how the emotions kind of connect and you have to, it, it's the both, it's the logic and the magic coming together.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can design things, um, specific types of design, you can design with just content, you know? So if you were making a poster, you could just have the information to tell you when the particular events are. If you're designing anything of any complexity, You can't design that without information and knowledge and insight because it's a living organic thing that is interacting with people thousands and millions of times on any given moment so it has to be driven by something so i think the good designers or certainly good creatives understand the value of insights that explain the value of the design to the person you're designing for wherever they are in the world And if you get hold of that, I think the bridge between strategy and creative execution is where most brands fall down. Most companies understand their value to people. But figuring out how to turn that into habits and behaviors and design systems and theories that actually work for the world the way it works now in a live, contextual, interactive environment is really, really tough. So that's what we look for. And the reason that we look for work which is different is you're also fulfilling your own creative validation and your life so you might we don't see the sense of making work which is compromised because it's on mass so we try and have the same enthusiasm and um endeavor that we would if it was a small project but do that at scale and we try and balance those two things
1: So tell me a little bit more, like I know a little bit about how it seems that when you guys teamed up together and built the agency, you built it very much on a a belief and a core values kind of system that perhaps reflected your own. You didn't go, we want to be this, this and this. You went, this is what we stand for. We want to keep things simple. We want no bullshit. All of those kind of things ripple through with the work, as well as you what you seem like as an agency. I mean, I, I've not been in there; I don't work for you, but it feels like that's the kind of culture that you nurture. How important was it, and how how did you guys both meet? Because I feel like you're a yin and a yang. You're, you're both trained graphic designers, but from hearing about your backgrounds, tell us tell us a little bit more about how you're different, but you need each other together.
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of things I'm supposed to unpack there. The first thing is um, I met a, I met up over, I think 28 years ago now, maybe 29. So it was when we were both very young and we met in London. So I, I um, opened a design studio with somebody else um, as part of a bigger company. And uh, Apov was the first designer um, that we hired. And I'd actually been introduced by a friend of mine who just moved to London and said, you should meet this guy. And Apov and I met, we talked for three or four hours, didn't really look at his work. And the next day I rang up a person that we'd already hired and told them that we'd made a mistake. And Apover and I started working together and we moved around the world. Uh, he lived in Sydney and New York. I lived in New York, New York, San Francisco and London and opened studios and learned our kind of trade. And after about six, seven years of doing that, we decided to do something different. So Dixon Baxi was a reaction to being part of something that was 200 people, a big agency. We wanted to do something simple and more selfish. So when we started the agency, it was about why are we designing what we're doing but also it's, it's our life as well. It's, it's the thing that fulfills us. So it should be based on the way we want to work and what would make us happy rather than money or awards or scale. So I'd I'd always rather be better than bigger. And I'd always rather have control than money. So if I've control of my destiny, I can make work that makes me proud. If I make work that makes me proud, I'm happy. If I'm happy, I'm happy. And, that's the deal so that's how we see it and the the values that drive us are about what makes us better creatively better as people and also challenges is not to accept the norm because i think there's a lot of bullshit and self-grandization and sometimes toxicity uh, toxicity in our industry so we try and avoid all that stuff and um
1: and do the values that you have reflect your own like personal values. So I think I know, how do you clash? Like, you seem like you get on super well. Um, Are there differences that you guys bring to the business? And do you think you'd have started it without a POVA? Because that's what I always think. I always think like I always had that you kind of go, well, at some point I might meet someone and we team up and we kind of drive an agency together. I'm lucky in that I've landed myself in an agency. It is a big global agency and there are challenges that come with it. But I'm also known as the corporate maverick, and as part of a team that kind of like my my goal is to encourage.
0: Superhero (laughs) name.
1: That's that's a little well-known tag there. But you know, like all of these things that become this is what's expected. I challenge people to go, whatever people told you you couldn't or you shouldn't, just try and just always try and just try and grow and improve. That's why I love seeing. I love seeing great creative work. And I feel like that's what you guys do. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of click you've built, built on LinkedIn. It's not about going, oh, their work's great. It's about going, that's really great work. And in my studio, I love to see great creative work. You, it blows me away because I'm excited by our industry. And I feel to your point about you've never been driven by the money. If you've got the right passion and you've got the right purpose, you kind of know you have to have a drive of what you want to work on or, or where you want to be. The money just follows you and the clients do too. Um, I yeah.
0: know you've said you before. Get, um, yeah, you get the work you deserve.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, I think... the, 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 the basically the tr- true reality is, if you work very hard, uh, any skill, but specifically design and creativity, you find the level that you operate at, and then you earn the right to work with the people you work with, and you earn the right to be paid the way you're paid, and you earn the right to win awards or judge awards or give talks, or whatever those things are. So they're all they're all things that come with. Um, a focus on the quality and excellence and originality of the work in terms of how Apova and I work um we share a lot of commonalities in in terms of cult- culture and creativity and the things we believe in but we're quite different as people and I think it's like a marriage you have to have a like a balance between um enough difference that it makes it interesting yeah. but also enough overlap that you share a common view of the world and I think that's what makes great creativity is lots of different diverse perspectives and different ways of looking at the world and different backgrounds coming together behind an ideal to create something really interesting. And then what you get is the best of both worlds, I think. And it, that's the balance. And ultimately for a power and I, it's about trust. So if he does something, I tr- trust him implicitly to do that. I don't need to know what he's doing. But at the same time, we talk every day about tons of little things and we're constantly having little ideas. So it's a nice kind of balance between deep trust and also, um, thousands and thousands of little conversations and decisions that keep us sharp.
1: And I think you've got you seem to have a nice culture of not being afraid to f it up, if you will. Like it's like you trust someone 100%, but we're all human and go, Well, I didn't get it right that time. And but you've got to to your point, I think what is a little bit underrated is the amount of work you have to put in, the amount of times you have to try and fail to eventually get it right in our industry. So people. Um, and I've always tried to fight for people who haven't necessarily had it the easy way. You know, like I did go to uni, but it was it was not expected. One parent, family, there's no way you can go to uni. You're, you know, and all of these expectations. I didn't live at uni. I traveled there because I couldn't afford to live there. So I've always tried to empower people who went, you can't, who've been told you can't to go, We'll just try. Because if you don't try, you'll never know. And, I, and even in a studio, I feel like you nurture that. We'll just have a shot at it, scribble, draw get your ideas down just dump it down and it's funny we've been through a very challenging time at the agency i'm at the minute we're relocating the studio it's thrown some people they're scared of change but it's amazing some of the great creative work that's happening right now because we throw ourselves into the work and that's exciting people go like i don't know what's going on right now i just i'm just going to design i do it myself i come home and after a crazy day and i'll edit a podcast and i could get someone to do it but there's just something about the craft it's just, just mm. an escapism. And I feel like is that's is that what's helped you as a studio? Because the work that you pump out, it's really beautiful. It's good work. It's exciting. Well,
0: thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, we do love what we do. I mean, I, I think I'm endlessly bemused by people being surprised by change because that's the nature of human humans. Yes. You yeah. know, um, the world <laughs> changes consistently. Yep. And and if you're not, if you're not hardwired to understand that change is inevitable, consistent and endless as a person, then you're always gonna be afraid or nervous or feeling bad. And change is really great. You know, the industry is a thousand times better than when I entered it. The world is a thousand times better than when I entered it. Is it it fixed? Definitely not. Is it perfect? Definitely not. But it is never going to be perfect. The human condition is not perfect. And certainly creativity is not perfect. It's a messy endeavor. It's complicated, it's confusing. It's hardwired into who you are as a person. So it's a personal thing, but you're doing it professionally. So there's a tension between that. It's it's affected by your mood, the situation, the information you took in, the saturation of shit you can see on other websites. All of that makes this really interesting and, and difficult bubble to operate in. But the reality is if you focus on your work and the things that make you happy and the things that you think are valuable in the creative enterprise, then you'll be fine. Just don't worry about all the other stuff. I, I just don't worry about any of, I don't worry about anything because I can't, I can't worry about things I can't control. What I worry about is the things I can control and the way that we work, how we carry ourselves, the striving for excellence is really important. And I, I get asked that a lot uh, about how you get to this level and the, the level of potential or perceived success we have. And it's basically starting, working really hard and not stopping. It's, yeah. it's that simple there's literally no cheat to getting good at something whether you're a musician or an athlete or a designer you have to put the time in you don't want to work all hours so you burn yourself out but this expectancy that you can become brilliant and a creative director in three years because you want the title it's yeah. absurd what you have to do is put the time in and earn the right to be that thing yeah. but if you just make the work you'll get those things eventually anyway
1: yeah.
0: if you make great work
1: and you have to get it wrong, you know, like I would openly open, like put my hands up and go like in, like I learned so much working for Parker Williams, my last agency in Leeds that I could then take forward and learn from it and move here. I'm a bit like you in that I don't I don't look backwards. I learn, you learn, you don't repeat the same mistakes but it's always how much better can I be? How much more can I learn? Um, and you learn from the people around you as well. I feel like you've probably, you build a team around the people you can learn from, young and old. And, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Everyone wants to now nurture a diverse culture. I don't think you pick and choose a diverse culture. I think you just pick different types of people and and kind of, and it grows, it organically grows. But I know definitely within our industry agencies now have, there's a few boxes people are trying to tick definitely over here right now of sustainability. And you kind of walk away from the conversation and go organically, we try and do the things that make it more sustainable. We raise awareness, we help empower our clients. But we don't need to put this big preachy hat on. I know I I, I talked to Thomas Colstrew, who talks a lot about hero trap, but they also don't go, we're diverse, we've got a token, whatever person, we've got all of these boxes just to tick a box. It's not it's not about that. How do you encourage the the differences within your agency?
0: Well, that is a that's a super complicated set of interrelated things. So there's a number, there's a number. Yeah, no, that's an um, awesome selection of things within that are like a thousand landmines as well, which is really good. So, that's, um, so there's a couple of things to that. I think um, a lot of words, um, things like diversity, sustainability, they become empty. They, they become meaningless. Just, they don't mean anything unless you do something. So, for example, um, I was talking to someone last week and they were talking, saying, oh, can we get a woman to speak at this conference for diversity? And I was like, that's not diversity, half the people in the world are women. The idea you have to talk to is absurd. You should be able to do, have a strategy that figures out a blend of people that will be interesting stories from lots of different backgrounds for reasons of creativity and conversation and debate, not go around cherry picking people because you feel like you're behind the curve in terms of how you're representing yourself. It's just crazy. So diversity for us is diversity of mindset, um, diversity of access, uh, diversity of the interplay of different types of people and their experiences. And from that, if you're open, receptive, and um, you're willing to learn and listen to people and not try and create something that just represents you, then you can have um, a really diverse culture. And we always have, I mean, we're, we're literally diverse in terms of ethnicity from, from birth as an agency. Uh, our MD of over 10 years is a woman. Um, more than half of the team are female half the team are from another country but that's just through wanting to represent the world at large and and, and not saying we need two people like this and one person like that because the agency is changing all the time I mean obviously from my perspective I carry a little bit of um, like mild concern about being a white guy sometimes so I just I, I have to be careful about my my privilege and and the the situation that I I sit in. But I started my first agency 30 odd years ago when I was 19, I didn't go to university and um, I didn't go to school for that matter. So I came from a a less kind of traditional background. So even someone on the face of it like me, who looks like a poster boy for the the opposite of what you want. My story is very different to other people's. And I think that's what it's about. It's, It's about lots of different stories from lots of different backgrounds who mix together to make something really wonderful together. And as with everything else, that's a constant changing adapting thing, because you have to keep learning um, the way the industry was when I entered it is different to when it is now. And I've had to learn how to carry myself and be a better person in order to be part of the industry now. And I think that everybody has to do that.
1: Do you think, because you've been on a lot more platforms recently, talks, I saw you doing the Birmingham Design Show, so congratulations, that will be a super exciting one. If you could join it virtually, I might try at like, three in the morning or something. I do (laughs) sometimes. How important do you feel it's been? Because in the last few years, I would say... You guys are everywhere. Like you're in all of the top leagues. Has telling your story added to that? Because I feel like it's it, knowing who you are, and, and since we connected and seeing more of your stuff, about I actually love the fact that you've gone. Well, I've not, I've not gone the traditional path. Do you think telling your story has helped encourage other people? Is that the purpose of it? Is it to encourage other people? Is it to win new work? Like, how does you, telling your own story? Yeah, it's not
0: to win work. You know, it was a conscious decision for the first decade of the agency or more we had this thing that the work should speak for itself. So we were very private, we stayed two people. And it was a reaction to, uh, we built agencies and we were part of things in the 90s and early 2000s, which it got too full of itself. And it was, it was the best and the worst of the industry really, where it was this am- amazing boom where you could connect to everybody in the world, but it became very narcissistic and very kind of self-fulfilling rather than altruistic. And I just had a feeling a few years ago that um, our industry is really opaque. And it's about celebrating uh, success in a very narrow way. And I don't like that. I I like the fact that creativity is for the sake of it and to improve the the world and make it a better place. It's not about baubles or money or titles. It's about, is the work valuable and useful to people? And then on top of that, is it excellent? Because it's very easy to get to good, but getting to great is really, really, really hard. So I like the endeavour of trying to do great work. And that's what we strive for rather than... um, Uh, other stuff and and i think if you do that the focus is just more interesting it's just in a space which is more fulfilling and it's more um useful to people because otherwise you get caught up in the trap of what our industry thinks is is correct and not everyone's right there's so many different ways of being a creative person and um you know i just like this idea of being positive and additive there's so much negativity and there's so much confusion and there's so many things saying you should work like this, you should do that. I just thought it'd be quite useful for an agency of our scale and potential reputation to be more open source and say, look, this is actually what it's like for real. You know, we make mistakes. We're not perfect. Um, not everything's polished to the nth degree. And the creative process, as I was saying earlier, is incredibly messy. And if you're not messing it up and trying to find some magic in the chaos, you're not growing, you're not, you're not changing. So I just wanted to add something. When I felt things were getting negative, I wanted to add something positive to the conversation, I suppose, and continue to do so.
1: And I think definitely we've seen it on things like LinkedIn and all of the social platforms. There is an awful lot of negativity. And there's an oversharing sharing culture as well. And I think it's nice that you let the work speak for itself. And you say a few words rather than saying an essay where it doesn't become all about the individual. There's also a lot of that. Definitely on the moment
0: at least. Yeah, I don't um, I don't talk about myself personally and I don't talk about other people. So if someone doesn't like what we do, that's cool. Um, but if I see something I don't like, I don't feel I have to pull that person down. Most creativity in design is contextual. So if you see a logo and go, oh, I don't like that logo. One, you're probably not the target audience, two, you haven't seen it in application. And three, you don't have the context of how it was created. So on all three levels. Kicking it is disrespectful. On top of that, we've had a profoundly difficult period for it, for our industry. So the idea that as we're all scrabbling back up and trying to get up off the mat after this really difficult period, you kick someone or flick someone or bring, bring them down. I just think it's it's just hugely, hugely wrong. I think our job is to build people up. And then there's lots of conferences, these types of things, private conversations, mentorships, coaching, that can help people get better at their job. But saying you don't like something adds nothing to the conversation. Saying that something is shit adds nothing to the conversation. And anyone who does that should be ashamed of themselves. I
1: agree, I totally agree. So tell me then some of the, you talked then about it's been a difficult time for creativity, how did the pandemic Okay, it's also, it's kind of, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because it was a challenging time for all of us, for everyone. But I know Mark and I have done this podcast before and we did more podcasts during the pandemic than ever because I think we, everyone just had more time. And that is when we kind of kept it going and rebooted it. We'd constantly have conversations of, we set ourselves little challenges or, but the optimism that rippled through it kept us going. It's like, this isn't going to last forever at some point. It drove creativity in a different, exciting direction despite the, because ch- in challenging chaos, does great creative happens. So how did it affect you guys as an agency?
0: Well, initially, obviously it was very stressful in terms of will the business survive? Will the industry get through this? My belief is whenever there's true difficulty, the way to get out of that is focusing on the, the, the most sharp things you can control. That's the best way of getting through it. And if you're creative, you can always have an idea or create something that will improve your mindset will improve the situation. So that's what we did. We we just sharpened everything down. Um, We also, we've always built the business to be financially strong. So we have, we have a a kind of like a a war chest of money that we use to protect the business from compromise or from danger. So when the, um, when COVID happened, what we did is we just went into that money when we invested back into the company to make sure no one's furloughed. We didn't have to sack anybody. The last thing I wanted to do is you know release somebody when they've got mortgages or families or you they're new to the country for example so what we decided to do is we were going to continue protect the team look after ourselves get into a little bubble and then go through that and then the biggest thing biggest challenge was mental health the, just the the repetition that everybody well went through so we created we made a book we made some um content we did initiatives uh, we just projected positivity and we worked like crazy on the projects we had, and that got us through. And then by the end of that year, things were fine, and the following year was amazing, and this year's been amazing. And it's because we stuck to the habits and r- rituals and the principles that drive us rather than change. We went more to the heart of what we are as an agency rather than less. And, uh, you know, in having had agencies for a long time, we've had agencies in the uh, dot com crash. 9-11, 7-7, the recession of 2002, the early 90s, uh, 2008, COVID. And my belief is if you have a business that has to, you want to survive for any length of time, if it can't work in recession or when things are bad, you don't have a business. So we build our business to work when it's bad and then make the, make the positive benefits of it when it's good.
1: And you touched on a really nice point and you did produce a I love grid. I love your grid on your website, constantly making, it's constantly re-looping. But even just simple words and tone of voice, you have a really nice simplicity about your the work that you do that I feel is easy to connect because there is a lot of clutter in the world. Um, and I think the visual approach that you take is to remove the clutter and it helps people to connect to it. One of the things you've said in a lot of your other talks with other people, that perhaps people who are listening to the podcast weren't and stumbled on, is how you hire and invest in people rather mm-hmm. than necessarily the work or because everyone kind of goes like I need to update my portfolio on my CV and I don't necessarily think you just get a connection with some people and mm-hmm. it's it's how people like I always think about networking it's not about how many people you can connect with it's about finding the people that resonate with you that you can add value to them or they can add value to you and that can be a really small value but ha- like you, I've heard you say you hire based on people tell me about it yeah
0: definitely um you obviously need to know that the person is basically within reach of, of the level of work. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Within the level of what we do, but um, in order to be truly open to people, um, you have to look beyond the basics of how people present themselves—CVs, portfolios, these various things—and look at the person inside that and you're more likely to find somebody who is a good cultural fit, it stretches you in terms of the range of people you have and the the way you look at the world. And that's what I do. We look for hunger, passion, curiosity, and a drive to make great work and to be interested in the world and to be additive to the world. If we find someone like that, we can teach them any skill and we can mentor them and create the space for them to ascend in the industry. but you can't teach. But I did a talk yesterday and then um, halfway through the projector died. So it's- like,
1: It's such a rookie thing, isn't it? We're, we're just talking about people and then I just cut them off like someone that I've admired for so long and I just quit the whole thing shut <laughs> <it> down. <laughs> I do apologize. I won't keep you so
0: No, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm more worried about you to be fair, honestly. I've got all the time in the world, so there's no hurry. Um, I don't know how much of that was uh, uh,
1: well, I got most I got most of your investment in people. Um and then I should okay, record great. a little bit to go and then I just killed it because you know when you get the chance to interview someone you want to interview, you just kill them. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well we can just crack on then. That's fine, that's no what
1: we can talk about. I've got some little notes on here that talk about optimism. Um and that talk okay. about that talk about how like you've traveled a bit, you've had different experiences. I think that's super important to try new things or to go to new places, and I am a little bit drawn, I have to say, even when people apply for jobs us, if people have travelled or, or lived in different places or, or tried new things, like you've obviously travelled a little bit. How important has that been to you? How much would you encourage people to try new, those kind of experiences?
0: Yeah, I suppose it's like anything in life. The more you experience life, the, the, the richer your life is, and that, that richness that you, you soak up is naturally uh, reflected in the work. Um, And in terms of the context of how we design, we design for hundreds of millions of people all over the world. So if you travel to Barcelona and Berlin and you go to Los Angeles and you go to Japan, you learn about people. You learn that cultural differences uh, um, are meaningful in lots of different ways, but you also realize we overlap in many different ways. There's a lot more we share as a, a kind of, global culture then separates us and those types of things i think are really useful and then of course it's just you know walking through it uh, milan and seeing someone sipping a coffee and then walking through manhattan and seeing a pair of sneakers and hearing some music that stuff even if you don't really go to a museum or whatever you're soaking up influence which ultimately can be projected in in your work so i'd recommend that um, I grew as a person as well. So I went to open a design studio in New York when I was 26. Yeah. yeah.
1: One
0: in San Fran when I was 28. So obviously I always say I describe, I went from being a boy to a man in a very short period where I had to learn about what, what I do. And I've always learned by doing rather than being told what to do. Um, I don't need YouTube videos and mentors and people telling me how to do things. I go out and find it for myself and I believe... What I look for people is is who, as I said earlier, are passionate about what they do, but people are willing to take a chance and make. People are willing to take a chance and try something. I think that's what life's about. So when I look at a person, I don't mind too much what their background is, where they came from, how much they travel or not. It's just are they willing to take a chance and do something new? Because that's what we do. And travel is a good indicator of that.
1: I think that's, that's something as well, I think, that's drawn to Dixon Baxian. When people say, oh, they're your dream agency, you'd love to work with them or be like them. And it's actually not about that. It's about, I actually like you guys because what you've done is you've gone, this is, this is I'm going to have a shot at it. And this is what I believe or this is what I dream. It's not about replicating what someone else does. It's surrounding yourself with people who encourage you to go, oh, I feel like I'd like to try that and encourage you to try and surround yourself with those kind of people and I follow different types of people on LinkedIn and stuff but they're all people that have gone out and done their own thing they've not tried to replicate someone else's thing is there any of your little adventures places that you've been that really sticks in your mind where where have you loved the most even if it's because one of the like China for me was one of the hardest things I've ever done but I learned so much by doing it so wow. your fave
0: a massive question I've like I've been so many so many I, I'd agree with you. I did um, interview um, times, and what I liked about that the most was it was the insignificant uh, I've ever felt in terms of traveling the world. So, going back to my background, um, who I am, I travel the world, is relative, and I think the West of the world and not a huge believer of that. I think the, it's much when you think of as a whole, it's not a kind of Western, it's a global perspective. And China's a great leveler because they don't care about the UK, they don't care about America, they don't care about, it, they, they obviously know about it and they care about certain things, but they've got such deep, rich and kind of, um, what they want and the balance between, you know, Where they've been and where they're going is everything about them is great, but that's the UK, the US. And the idea that I was, um didn't, there was something really hungry that that I enjoyed about that. Yeah,
1: it's a fascinating culture. Like it's just, it's just, it's really hard to explain to someone if they've not been, but it's just, it's fascinating. uh,
0: I went to Chongqing and um, it was 500,000 people and went about. Twenty six million. so The change is it, it's you know my the month you would go to. And that's just one. They're all in the twenty millions, and you know, they're, they're with super rich culture, but like super. Down. And again, there's there's. But um, yeah, I made a film in which was a good good thing to do. That was a wild experience. another country never having or in four that was quite uh uh, Sergio Leone films the kind of spaghetti westerns so I I I used to like all that stuff as well so they're the types of films that would I would reference I mean Paul Thomas Anderson films at the moment I really like I I like the way he sees the world Um, I like the fact that he makes the films he makes. They're just intellectually and kind of culturally interesting. Um, I don't know if I answered the question correctly there, actually.
1: (laughs) You've answered with a thousand different types of films and directors. But I feel like that's what creative people do. We start with one and go, oh, yeah, but I also like this. Oh, but can you remember that? And it just becomes this catalogue. There's so many amazing... It's like
0: music, isn't it? It's like, um, it's impossible to name one thing. Because it's like, it's a whole bunch of things. And it's, I also think it's, it's about the memory and the feeling of where you were when you saw the thing or you heard the thing as well.
1: It's like music. Because, it's like yeah, music.
0: it's like music or art or design or fashion. They're contextual. So it, it, it's part of your makeup. So you, if you root back to the memory and how you felt and what it meant to you at the time, it suddenly becomes radically important. Yep. But then if you ask again, you might go to a different memory in a different time period of your life. And that's radically important. So I'm not a kind of a singular guy in terms of like only liking one thing. Um, and my change as well. My my taste changes.
1: Your, your work. First your work. And then who would you love to still work with? Oh
0: man, that's a really exciting question. Um, without, yeah. I suppose it's really, really hard to pick a particular job because I've done so many. And I've, all, I've always been a believer in the body of work rather than an individual project because I think it's a work in progress. Um, I think AC Milan, the rebrand for that was dear to my heart because I like football. I've always liked the club, I like Italy. They're a good club, they're culturally relevant, um, they're exciting. So that, and I think we did something that was different. We didn't do a sports brand or a football brand, we did AC Milan. And it was a really rewarding, very rewarding project. Um, studio is probably the project that I care about the most because that's the entity is the thing. So that kind of living and breathing we built that we're we've just finished our second decade and entering the next phase. That's the thing that I'm most interested in because my job is to create the space for other people to achieve their creative. Um, kind of goals and, and and the things that validate them. So that's the thing I, I'm really excited about, is the form of the agency and how we can get better at what we do. We like this idea of being Dixon back to global. So it's one of the things that we've been thinking about for a while prior to COVID, but COVID really crystallized. the idea of being specifically location centric as an agency and building fiefdoms doesn't really make sense. And I've done that before. I've, I've been part of something that had studio in Sydney, um north of England, London, San Francisco, and, and New York. And it's great, but they're all different. And um it was torturous and it's lump and it was and it was fractious and it was it, it it just wasn't clean. It didn't the ideals one ideal was very clear, but a lot of the work was substandard because of this the stretch and strain. Um, so and I think we can work anywhere now. So the idea of having a set of people who work around the world centered around our London studio, I think functions better. So we're a global agency as opposed to be a location specific agency.
1: And I think now that travel is allowed, what it's, and I think it's a really nice, interesting solution to that in the future, Of because I agree, like I don't think necessarily having, and, you know, I work for an agency that's got studios all over, but I don't necessarily think they seamlessly work, like we don't seamlessly work together at all. Like if the people who are friends work together better. So I've got friends that work in our Portland office in Chicago and, and I do beautiful work with them more because of the connection that we've got and how easy it is for us to talk to each other and communicate than where they're based. Um, so, if there's a, a pocket of time that maybe it's more client centric to go, a client wants to work with you, you're here, we need to understand the environment they're in. Is there like a little capsule bubble of you that, that works or, or bases within that space for a pocket of time rather than having, well, our studio is always here? I think there needs to come probably a client shift.
0: Well, it's been changing for quite a long time. So, the traditional networked agency um, is good if you're serving um, global infrastructure of a large client and it's campaign structure thing. We're, we're a branding agency. So we rebrand companies and then give them the tools to live and breathe in the world. So there's a degree of redundancy to that. Uh, we don't remain as a kind of uh, executional partner. They have other people and massive internal teams to do. The way that creativity works now, um, advertising and campaignable ideas don't connect with people in the same way experiences and the system and preserve. so I think a change with the audience that people are connecting to which makes it harder for networked agencies there's some that are truly sensational like AKQA or RGA uh, strategically driven design and identity systems facilitate relationship people the world and technology facilitate ideas facilitation of it that's where industry is going it's not digital it's not advertising. It's not like sectors like uh, integrated and not old school integrated. I mean, integrated in the true sense of what it is. And that's what brands are. So, somebody, for example, if you took Tesla, almost nobody's, but, but everybody knows what they stand for. It was the same with Uber. There wasn't a big ad campaign that said Uber's awesome. It was Oh wow, I'm using this thing. And in a minute, a car comes to my doorstep and in a click I can pay for it. And that's what people are connecting to now is things that are valuable and useful and interesting to their lives. And they want things that are value-based. Yeah, I mean, if you you have like Nike's just done that fantastic 50-year anniversary commercial with Spike Lee. Um, but you cannot commercial if you've done all of those things for real, the Tiger Woods, Covering Cap and Arc. That being there at the moment when it wasn't fashionable to do that is what builds brands, not greenwashing or sports washing or brand washing after the event, because you think the world needs that now. And that's what most brands, a lot of brands are doing is they're trying to catch up. Um, Marketing is still incredibly important, of course, because it's the engine of brand fame. But if the values... um, are basically based on something they believe people want versus what the company actually does and its effect on the world. That disconnect I think is disingenuous. And that's where I think a lot of people have found out that kind of bullshit in that part of the industry because it's just making things up that are not true. And I think people are seeking truth now. They're seeking real, valid, meaningful, useful, authentic things because they want the world to get better. Both both marketing, branding, and all forms of communication can do that. But it has to come from something that is true and real and the business can deliver on. If Nike didn't do the things it did, it couldn't do that commercial.
1: Yeah. I've loved chatting to you today. Um, I'm going to end with another yeah. icebreaker question, unless there's anything else you want. Um, I think we've talked about quite a few things. I know I had a rough little list here, and I've got thousands of pieces of paper all over the floor and everything. Um just because that's organic and it work. So it's a bit of a mess for afterwards. But is there anything you want to leave people on? There's a diverse type of people who, who listen to the podcast.
0: Well, that's uh, OK. I'm not going to do a mic drop, but what, what, what I will say is um, um, I think people should um, both believe in themselves and they believe in the things that they, they do and create and do on their terms and the way they want to do it and they'll enjoy what they do and that's how i see it
1: thank you thank you for joining me today um it's been really nice to talk to you
0: thanks lisa i had a lot of fun i appreciate it thank you